Gil Owens. Good morning, guys. I am Jeff Jones, the executive director of the Scooter Scott Project. Uh, the Scooter Scott Project exists to provide hope and transform lives through the power of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we team up with like-minded individuals, churches, schools, businesses, uh, municipalities to, uh, to basically go out into in the community and uh, give them hope, give people hope. Uh, we started about 12 years ago. We used to be called the Nehemiah Project. And we started with basically 12 kids in an after-school program at Airport High School. And uh, we started that program based primarily because the, found, the founder, Scooter Scott, he was a school administrator. And he wanted to make an impact with the kids that are in, the, in high school that basically may not stay in high school the entire time. At that time in South Carolina, 12 years ago, 50% of the kids... They started high school, started their ninth grade. 50% of them didn't make it to the 12th grade. In Lexington, too, right here, it was one in four. So we wanted to create something where we would catch the kids when they entered high school and walk out those four years with them to make sure they graduated. That was a very big part. Our Jerusalem is Lexington County. That's our Jerusalem. And the epicenter of, our, of Lexington County, what we do, is in Lexington Two Schools. We primarily focus in Lexington Two Schools, the West Columbia, Casey area, Pine Ridge, uh, Edmond, throughout that whole area right there. Um, we do have an after-school program. Uh, it runs Monday and Tuesday. Um, we do have sign-up sheets for that also. For here, if you guys are interested in doing tutoring, mentoring, mentoring is probably the best and the most powerful ministry we have. You don't have to be a college graduate. You don't even have to be a high school graduate. If you can come and, and be in our after-school program, get to know a kid, get to trust that kid, that, trust, that kid trust you, and you just, you just be there. That physical presence is such a powerful, powerful ministry. Um, you know, Jesus, what he did in his ministry was he invited the 12 in. They got to know him personally. That's how you make disciples. And that's what we want you to do. We want you, if you want to come and be a part of our ministry, come in, hang out, hang out long enough with us to get to know our students and stuff and our families. And what happened in our after-school program after the first year, we found out real fast that we couldn't just help the kids because the kids had to go home. So we found out real soon you, you got to help the families as well. So we started a free GED program, and that's been phenomenal. We've had over 350 people graduate with their GEDs here in Lexington County. A phenomenal program. And then other programs kind of branched off from that. We have a program now called Flip It, where every late Wednesday, uh, the airport high school has a late start. We have a church next door to the airport high school. We serve free pancakes. You just come and you just hang out. And what that is, that's, a, that's an entry point for, for students, for families, to get to know us and just kind of hang out, talk with people. Uh, it's all free. Everything we do is a free program. Nobody pays for anything. We're completely, totally volunteer. Nobody in the organization gets paid a dime. Um, we also do a lot of other things. We do, we do community outreach. We have a, uh, an organization called Next Step. We team up, team up with every summer to go out and do home repairs in the West Columbia area. We've spent the last four years working in Happy Town right down the street here and also in Bell Mead and also other areas in, in Lexington County. Um, I could go on and on. We've got a bunch of different programs. I've got sign-up sheets here for both the Flip It uh, for the after-school program, the GED program, and also I've got a, a sign-up sheet for our snack packs. We, we, 
provide about 500 snack packs every month to the schools in Lexington, too. And we need help packaging those snack packs. And that's a good, that's a good way to kind of get to know us and be an entry point for you to come and, and be part of our ministry as well. But come on by. We got the, one of our students here today selling soap. It's foaming soap. This is another ministry we have where we teach kids how do you, how do you live in this world? How do you make a living? It's one thing to graduate from high school, but how do you make a living once you get out? So we try to expose them how a business runs, to teach them how to do it in a godly way. You know, so they make a product, which is foaming hand soap, and then they learn how to sell it. And all the money they make from, from selling the hand soap goes towards scholarships when they graduate. And last year we gave out $3,000 in scholarship money based on the, on the foaming hand soap business. But I want to leave you just kind of tell you, with, tell you about a story. Back in 2013, I met a young man. Um, he lived in the Bell Mead community off of, three, off of 321. And when I first met him, I asked him a question. I said, well, tell me about your relationship with God. He said, man, he said, I ain't got no reason to believe in God. No reason to believe in God. And I could really relate to that because I was in high school. I was the same way. I, I had no reason to believe in God either. But I got to know this young man. And over the years, he kept sharing more and more of his life with me. And, and he basically told me his life story. He had been homeless eight times in his life, lived in numerous foster homes, had drug-addicted parents. I mean, it goes on and on. And as I got to know this kid, um, he dropped out of high school. He, he was in our after-school program, but he dropped out. One day, I was over at Airport High School at our GED program on Saturday mornings, and he come walking through the parking lot. I said, man, I, said, I hadn't seen you in a while. What, what, what's going on? Well, I've been living in the woods for the past two weeks. Things just got so bad at home, I can't, I can't stay there anymore. And when I first got involved in this ministry, I had no idea. I've been on overseas mission trips, and I've seen third world poverty. I had no idea we had third world poverty right here in this community. I'm, I'm talking third world. I'm talking about sand floors, like in Dominican Republic. It's unbelievable. But it exists right here in the West Columbia Casey, Lexington 2 area. Anyway, this young man, uh, I never gave up on him. I kept working with him. And over the years, I've seen him improve so much. And now, now he believes in God. That's the main thing. He'll tell you he believes in God. But also, he's got a job. He's working. He's, he's steady. And he's, he's working his way up. And I'm trying to get him in our GED program so he can go ahead and get that out the way too. But that's what it takes. Everything we do is about long term. It's no quick fixes. Everything we do is get a relationship with a person and walk it out with them even beyond high school, and, and that's another story. So I'm going to turn it over to Gil. I'll just take 30 seconds about long term. Uh, for the last three years, my wife and I have taken in boys. matter of fact, we've taken in 17 boys in the last three years, some of them for just a few months, some for over a year. And uh, I just want to tell you a, a success story about walking it out with them is when you walk it out with them and you take a young man into your home and you open your doors and you keep him for a year, year and a half, and you watch him go from a terrible circumstance like Jeff just shared uh, to some stability, to, you know, bringing the church and doing Bible studies and, and getting to know who God is. And you get to watch him graduate from the Coast Guard this past Friday, Austin Holbrook. And that's a success story, uh, one of our boys in our programs. Um, I probably can't. Sorry, Sorry Z. <laughs> I, I didn't tell you I was coming back. Uh, I probably can't express how much I love these guys um, and what they do. I would really encourage you to get to know them like I have and to spend time with them and invest in, in what they're doing in this community. Um, you know, we've said, we told you guys a couple of times that we're going to partner with them to do a ton of stuff uh, because there's no need for us to go out and create our own little activity uh, over on the side when they're doing this kind of work. So uh, I would encourage you to, to get 
to know them and be a part of what they're doing. Next, I've got Jen Thompson. Jen is the director, is executive director of Lighthouse for Life. Uh, Jen also has been a teacher in Lexington, too. She was uh, actually my kid's uh, PE coach at Congaree Elementary School for a little while. Um, I've had the privilege of getting to know these folks really well and also helping them with a lot of their legal work, which has been a blast to set up. Uh, they are getting ready to uh, launch their new facility, which I'll let you tell everybody about. But uh, let's make Jen welcome. Hello. I'm sorry. I'm just not really a fan of microphones. Um, so my name is Jen, and I would continue to plug this program, first of all, because this program, the Scooter Scott program and all the after-school stuff, is what helps keep kids from falling into my program because my program is human trafficking. Lighthouse for Life has been in existence in the Midlands since July 2014, and I wish there was no need for it. I taught for 15 years in Lexington, too, the young lady they have here in grade 10 selling soap used to be in my PE classes. Autumn is another example of a success story of their program where she hooked up with them in sixth grade. And it's really brilliant for me to see you again this morning. It makes me very happy. Um, this morning, it's 1030. And from midnight last night to 1030 this morning, 50 people have been launched for sale for commercial sex in Columbia on one website out of many that I know about. And so I could read to you the locations, I could read to you the ages, but already as of midnight to now, there's 50 people online for sale on one website for sale for commercial sex in Colombia. Uh, the myth is that it happens overseas, just like the poverty myth. The myth is that it doesn't happen to us. The myth is it doesn't happen here. The myth is that people who purchase commercial sex are shady, but that's not true. The average purchaser is 35 with a job and a family and an education, and one in five of them work with kids. And Jesus said he was the way and the truth and the life. And so you're not going to get free without the truth. And so we have to tell a hard truth sometimes. And the hard truth is that out of those 50 ads, statistically one in 10 of them are a kid. And if they're advertised for the age of 20, then they're probably not 20. And so out of those 50, there's at least five that are minors this morning, somewhere within a five-mile distance of here for less than $100. And so I appreciate the courage of the church that you're in right now to talk about this and let us be here and tell the truth about what's going on because if we can prevent people from falling into this, you know, that's a lot better than trying to do the rescue, right? Like if you can have somebody meet Jesus as a kid instead of meeting them at 80, it would save them a lot of pain. Not that life would be perfect because life is not perfect. But the truth is what will really help them out a lot. And I was, uh, I was struggling in the parking lot because I get tired of talking about how ugly the world is. And a song came on the radio that said, uh, if I were to tell you my story, I would tell of him. And so we got to remember that. It's really, really easy to be like, the world is terrible, blah, 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 because it is. But we are the hope, and we are the light, and we are the way, we are the truth, we are the life. And if we don't bring Jesus to these people, then we're just another public service band-aid that gives them an air-conditioned ride to a horrible future. And so Lighthouse for Life exists, and we, we go anywhere in the state and tell the truth about human trafficking, whether five minutes on a Sunday morning or five hours to mental health people. We've, we've trained cops and 
all the paramedics in Lexington County and all the firefighters in Lexington County and Batesburg and West Columbia. And we just go anywhere we can and share as much as we can and try to remember ourselves, which is, is I think is harder when you talk about it every day, but try to remind people, one, this is happening, but two, it doesn't have to, and it won't change until we talk about it. And so we, we, we have a, a lot of events that go on in the public trying to raise awareness in an easy way because talking about it up front is hard. And one of those events is next Saturday, and it's, we have a, like a holiday market shop, and there'll be 32 local vendors there over at Radius Church next Saturday from 10 to 2. And it's actually somewhat of a fundraiser for us, but mostly it's to give back to the community and bring people in to uh, highlight different ministries like they're going to sell their soap there next week and stuff. So um, just come out and join us there if you want to learn more information. We do have a table in the lobby. And when people say, how can I volunteer? I kind of throw the, the thing back on them of you tell me, because if you're good at graphics, maybe I need you to help me make a poster. If you're good at speaking, I wouldn't ask you to stuff an envelope. You know what I'm saying? So you know the things that you love to do. We've got plenty of opportunities. Chelsea is here with me. She can tell you all about a lot of our opportunities. The one other thing that we are doing that sets us apart from anybody in the entire state of South Carolina is that right now there's nowhere for someone to go to live who gets rescued out of sex trafficking um, that, that, that is specifically for that. There are good homes. There's Nancy K. Perry, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of great ministries out there that we try to partner with and bring education to. But the people that get hurt in trafficking have a PTSD to a degree that nobody else does that I've ever heard of. The average age in Richland County, somebody's getting tricked into this, is 15. They can't leave when they want to. And if they were only with five people a day, five days a week for five years, they'd have been hurt over 6,000 times before they could vote. So you got to just understand that they need a special place to stay. And we're opening a house like that. It's paid for. It's uh, furnished. We've got some fire marshal stuff to take care of. And maybe we'll be open in in January. And uh, it's not cheap. We have four people on paid staff. We'll have eight by the time it's over. Um, we did work for free for a while, but you just can't, can't get people to work in this field with this kind of training that you need um, forever. But God has been more than generous and we, um, we're not in debt. We're, we're very blessed with a lot of volunteers like Brian. He said, you know, he's a lawyer. So he was a great example of how you can use the gifts and talents and joys that you've got and leverage them for the kingdom without reinventing the wheel. So thanks for listening. It's unique. I hate to say that it's unique, but it's unique to be at a church that has so many different ministry opportunities. Um, A lot of times... Uh, our churches, we, we get locked into, if you want to do ministry, these are the certain four or five things you can do, and that's it. Um, we are having our ministry fair, and we, if you look at the tables out here, it goes from everything from in-house ministries to local ministries that God has uh, allowed us to partner with to crossover. And I want to share a little bit about crossover uh, today before I, I, I preach Crossover Communications International is a ministry I work with. Um, I was with Crossover in the 90s and then left for 15 years to pastor a church. I've been back with them now for two years. Um, Our heartbeat and our goal 
is to plant multiplying churches among unreached people groups. Now, when we use the terminology unreached people groups, we use that sometimes in a, in a confusing kind of way. But we're not saying it crossover, and this is nothing wrong with other ministries. This is just the focus that God has given to us, is unreached is not unchurched. You go around town, there's a lot of people who are unchurched. There's a lot of people who are lost here in Columbia. But the issue is not a matter of whether we're saying they're lost or they're unchurched. One thing we like to say at Crossover is there's spiritual needs are everywhere. Gospel access is not. 42% of the world's population has no access to the gospel. Now, I don't mean they don't have a church. I mean, they have no body there to share the gospel with them. And so our focus as a ministry is to plant churches among those type of people. Uh, We started our church planting in a little country called Moldova, which is part of the former Soviet Union, and then have built from there. We now have four bases, one here in the U.S., one in Brazil, one in Azerbaijan, and one in Moldova, where God has opened up opportunities for us to plant churches among people who have never heard the gospel. Our team in Azerbaijan go in and out of northern Iran. Believe it or not, right now there's revival happening in Iran. Um, And so we just need to continue to pray. And so I do have a a section set up over here. I'm also talking about the VIP if you want to help out with uh, greeting and all those things. But if you want to, we send out a quarterly prayer letter If you want to hear more about what we're doing through Crossover and what Crossover does, uh, come by and sign up for our prayer letter and we'll get you on that list. We also have a little magazine over there that shares, this is our 30th anniversary as a ministry, and so it shares about what we do. So that's just a quick plug. Um, Now, as we get into the Word, well actually before we get into the Word, I want to do one more thing. Yesterday was Veterans Day. If you have served or are serving in the military, would you stand for us? Anybody? Okay. Well, thank you guys for your service. Appreciate that. You know, I was thinking as I was looking at today's passage, I thought about saying, you know, James is kind of hard on us, but we say that every week, so let's just get used to it. Um, while we're in James, he's, he's hard on us. Um, so uh, today, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, God uses the imagery of a relationship of a marriage with his people. In the Old Testament, he talks about them being the bride. He talks about all kinds of different things. And so in the New Testament, we're the, called the bride of Christ. And so as I was thinking about that, There's an Old Testament story, one of the Old Testament prophets called Hosea. An odd story. God tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Now, there's debate as to whether or not she was already a prostitute or she was just a young woman that was living in that system because her mom was a prostitute. But the issue is, he's called to go and marry this woman and take her to be his wife. She has two children with him, and she decides the lifestyle that mom has, pretty good lifestyle. So she walks out on her husband to become a prostitute. She lives that lifestyle to the point where now she can no longer support herself, and so she is sold into slavery. 
And God tells Hosea, go buy her back and bring her back to your home. So Hosea goes and he buys her out of slavery and brings her back into his home and remarries her. But it doesn't end there because she continues to commit adultery on him. And God says, this is the story of the nation of Israel at that time and God. But we come to James today, the passage he calls us spiritual adulterers. Again, it's not going to be easy. But I want us to look, and and we're going to kind of look at the passage. It's not, I'm not going to go verse by verse from the passage right now. It's first, I mean, it's James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. But what I want us to think about here is Jeremiah 31, 3 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love, and I have drawn you with loving kindness. He's loved us with an everlasting love. I love my wife. I love my kids, but I can never say that I have an everlasting love for them. There was a point in time where I got to know them. There'll be a point in time where I will die and that will end. But God's love is an everlasting love for his people. But he says here in James chapter 4, there's a problem. And that problem is we've committed adultery. What does he say here? Now I'm going to lose it here. Okay. Verse 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So he's warning us about this spiritual adultery. And the first thing he says about it is it's going to damage our interpersonal relationships. What does he say in verse 1? What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Verses 11 and 12. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if the judge, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? He says, you know what? When we're committing spiritual adultery, when we have chosen to love the world more than we love God, it damages our relationships with one another. It causes fights and quarrels. He says it's because we're, we have these desires in us that are, are God-given desires, but we have taken them and gone the wrong direction with them. And so now it causes tension in our own self and therefore a tension with everybody around us. These interpersonal relationships are destroyed because we have chosen to walk with the world instead of walking with the Lord. Now, this is hard words to hear because we like to talk about, you know, well, I'm not that bad. You know, I can look at, I can look at a lot of people in the world that I'm not as bad as. You know, somebody who walks into a church and opens fire on children, I'm, I'm not that bad. You know, but the issue is not, I don't compare myself with that guy. If I compare myself with the standard that Christ has set, I'm still a sinner. I still don't measure up. And so as we begin to think through how do we relate to one another, 
as long as we're walking in the world, and we'll talk about that in just a couple minutes, we are now walking in this spiritual adultery and it destroys these relationships. It also destroys social relationships. It says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. He says here, not just not being able to deal with one another, but even dealing with society as a whole. When we are walking in a way that God doesn't desire for us to walk, it causes issues. It causes issues like sex trafficking. It causes issues like poverty and homelessness. You know, the homeless issue and, and the, the dealing with people in poverty issues, not the government's responsibility. It's the church's responsibility. God has called us to make a difference in society. And yet it's a lot easier to give our $5 and expect somebody else to do it. That's why I'm excited about what God's doing in bringing these two ministries to be part of what City Church is doing in this community. We're not asking you today to to give Scooter Scott money or to give Lighthouse for Life money and then that's it. We're asking to get involved. That this church can make a difference in society. And if we love the Lord like we say we love the Lord, we will do that. And so we get involved and it changes those societal relationships. But of all things, it damages our spiritual relationships. Verses 3 through 7 You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for, excuse me, or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace, therefore says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's not just that we don't get along with one another when we're walking in spiritual adultery. It's not even that we don't treat society well. But if we are friends with the world, we are enemies with God. I don't want to be God's enemy. I don't think you win there. I want to be God's friend. And Scripture talks about that. Moses was called God's friend. Abraham was called God's friend. A friend of mine named John North said this, you cannot walk with God and live for yourself at the same time. You cannot walk with God and live for yourself at the same time. And does that mean you can't? get a job and provide for your family and have nice things. No, it's not what we're saying. We're saying what drives you? What is your passion? What do you live for? And if we live for those things that are dishonoring to the Lord, then we are his enemies. We are God's enemies. And so we've got to be careful here that we don't live in this. So how do we, how do we get out of this? Now, 
Unfortunately, I was a pastor for 15 years, so you got to deal with the fact that all these start with an S. I'm sorry, I don't normally do it that way, you know, but maybe it'll help you remember it, I don't know. But, you know, some, it, just, it came out this way sometimes, and, and uh, I tried not to do it, but it was all I could come up with. Um, so, how do we restore this covenant? Because uh, uh, the relationship with the Lord, you know, we call it the Old Testament and the New Testament. But it's really the old covenant, same word, the old covenant and the new covenant. It's this relationship with the Lord that says, it's not a contract that I can sign and just get out of. It's a covenant relationship like a marriage. And he says here that that we've, we've committed spiritual adultery. So how do we restore? If we've gotten to that point in our lives, how do we restore this relationship? The first thing is we submit to God. He says, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit's not one of those words we like to hear. I mean, it means that I'm not in control anymore, right? If I submit to somebody else, then I can't do what I want to do. But he's saying, if you truly want to walk with the Lord, if you truly want that relationship, then you submit to Him. You say, Lord... Whatever you ask, I'm willing to do it. It may be a crazy thing. You know, you should always be afraid to, at missions conferences to commit because you didn't know what you were committing to, right? You know, you might end up in some jungles of uh, some Africa somewhere and not knowing what's going on. You know, but the issue is like we talked about last week. God gives you the desires of your heart. God doesn't force you. I'm submitting to God. Oh, he's going to hate this, but I'm going to make him do it anyway. You know, it's not that way. It's not that God sits around thinking, how can I make them miserable now that they've submitted to me? When we submit to him, he gives us clarity and direction on the way he's gifted and and wants to use us. Just like Jen said, it's however God has gifted and uses you. That's how, you know, you don't want me to help you with your budget. Okay, I'm just going to let you know. I'm not the person you need to call for that. But if you want to talk about the scriptures, if you want to talk and, and, and share and, and have somebody listen and, and weep with them, I'm, I'm there for you. You know, let's, let's use our gifts. And I enjoy it. Sometimes it gets overbearing, but I, for the most part, I enjoy it. That's who I am. If, if there's not somebody struggling, coming to me and talking to me, I'll go out and find them. You know, ask my family, you know. Dad can't drive down the street or stop at Walmart or somewhere else where he doesn't stop and talk to somebody and help them. You know, it's just, I can't help it. I'm sorry. So, but when we submit ourselves to God, yes, he will give us clarity. He will lead us where he wants to lead us, but he's not going to make us miserable. He's going to lead us where he is gifted and called us to be led. The next thing is, stay away from tempting situations. 7B, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, we use this one sometimes. We, I'm going to stand against the devil, you know, and, and that's not necessarily what it's talking about there. The issue is don't put yourselves in situations. My dad was a Georgia State trooper, and he knew the mountains of North Georgia like the back of his hand. We didn't. And so he loved to drive the mountains of North Georgia at high rates of speed right on the edge. And that didn't make me a happy camper. I'm not a big fan of heights. 
And we'd be right on that edge. Now, the, the bad thing is, if he was to ever hit a rock or anything, you're toast. You know? But, but he liked to be right on that edge. And that's the way we deal with sin most of the time. Teenagers ask it all the time. How far is too far? When I worked with teenagers, I'd say, if you're asking that question, you've already gone too far. You know, you're, you're all, because what you're saying is, how close can I get to the edge and not fall off? Can, can I scoot over just a little bit? Oh, just a little bit. Oh, come on, just a little bit more. But he says, resist it. Stay away from those situations. In Corinthians, he says to, that no temptation is overtaking you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. We use that passage to say, God won't put more on you than you can handle. That's a lie. Ask Job. God will put more on you than you can handle because he wants you to hand it to him. But in sin, nothing ever comes our way that there's not an escape. But the problem is, most of the time, we look for that escape route like a thief looks for a policeman. We don't want the escape route. It's a temptation because we like to do it. And so we say, well, yeah, there's maybe an escape, but, but how close can I get to the edge? How close can I get to the edge? He says, if you truly want to walk with the Lord and restore that covenant, submit to God and stay away from those situations that cause you to sin. I can go hang out with people who are doing drugs and it's not a temptation to me. I can go talk to them about the Lord and I'm never tempted to do drugs because it's never been a temptation for me. I can't go talk to young ladies who are half-dressed most of the time because that can be a temptation for me. I need to stay away from those situations. I need to know what causes me to sin and stay away from it to restore that relationship. And so we see that we submit to God, we stay away from tempting situations. And then verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Spend time with the Lord. You know, Jesus told a parable. He said there was, they, there was demons casted out of the house and they went and they wandered around the earth and they came back and they gathered seven more demons and came back and took back over that house. Now, the issue here is, a lot of times we can talk about, I'm just going to quit doing this. I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit this sin. 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 And what are we doing? When I taught my daughter how to drive, we were driving down the road one day, and there was a, a man walking down the street, and I said, Tabitha, watch this guy over here. The next thing I know, we're going right for him. I said, what are you doing? You told me to watch him. I don't mean stare at him. I meant just be careful not to run over him. You know, and, and we, we tend to, to do sin that way. We were focused on, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin, I don't want to sin. We're looking at it so much that we go that direction. Stay away from the ten, sinful temptation and, and get to know the Scriptures. Draw near to the Lord and He will draw near to you. Spend time with Him. And then separate yourself from sin. Verse 8, verse, it says, cleanse your hands, you sinner, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. See, we tend to stop at the first part of that. Whoever confesses them. Well, I admitted. I admitted I blew it, so, you know, that should be something. What does he say? He says, confess and forsake. Set up things in your life. Have people that you're accountable to that you say, I'm being tempted, can you help me here? Get rid of sin in your life. You say, well, that's easier said than done. You're right, but that's why we're doing these steps. God provides you what you need to do that. The scripture says you now have Christ in you. If you're a believer, you have Christ in you who gives you the strength to overcome. So we confess and we forsake our sin. Which really comes back to this next thing which is harder for us than just about anything. Verse 9 says this, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. See sin as God sees it. We all sit and watch the news last week. And hear stories of people trying to protect their babies as some crazy person is shooting them and we weep. We can mourn at that kind of sin. Do we mourn over our own sin? Because we don't see our sin as, as bad. We begin to see sin the way God sees it. We mourn and we weep that we have offended our loving Heavenly Father. Jerry Bridges, who wrote a book called, oh, what is it called now? I've forgotten now. Anyway, never mind. Jerry Bridges, look him up. He was good. He wrote several books, but there was one that I can't remember the name of anymore. Should have wrote it down. Um, he says, we need to cultivate in our own hearts the same hatred for sin that God has. Hatred of sin as sin, not just as something disquieting or defeating to ourselves, but as displeasing to God lies at the root of true holiness. Pursuit of holiness. That's the name of the book. Pursuit of holiness. Sorry. Um, came to me as I read that last verse. Um, but the issue here is, do we, cult, do we truly have that kind of hatred for sin? That when we give in to sin, when we give in to temptation, we realize how much it has hurt God. Scripture says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How can we grieve someone who doesn't care? You can't grieve somebody who doesn't care. We grieve the Holy Spirit because He wants us to live the way He's called us to live and changed us to live. When we sin, we grieve Him and we bring displeasure to Him. And then lastly, surrender your all to the Lord. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. I had people pray, Lord, humble me. You don't want that. That is not a biblical prayer. That's just going to get you in a lot of trouble. We are to humble ourselves. We are to say, Lord, I'm yours. Everything you ask of me, everything you've called me to be, I'm yours. You know, we, we all, I don't know why I said we all, probably not everybody. I love the World Series. How many people watch the World Series? Okay? At the end of the World Series, they're interviewing 
the shortstop for the Houston Astros. And he stops the interview for a second. He walks over to a young lady and he gets down on a knee and he holds out a big humongous diamond, which means he makes more money than me. Um, But he holds out this big humongous diamond and he asks her a question. And she says, yes, I will. Biblically, God's calling us. He's asking, what are we going to do? He wants that relationship with us. He wants that relationship so much that he sent his son to die on a cross and to rise again to give us power to live a new life. He is asking, what will we do? Let's pray.